0: every single paycheck. So let's jump in and teach you how to hire like a pro. Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today I have on guest Sarah Potts. Sarah believes in the power of partnership. In 2014, she founded Joyfully Organized, a strategic team of virtual assistants based in Raleigh, North Carolina and serving clients nationwide. Through her practice, Sarah is an operations consultant and virtual assistant to photographers, coaches, and service business owners who need both the strategy and support to delegate the details. Having partnered with more than 100 co- Having partnered with more than 100 clients to simplify their businesses, she loves helping business owners find time to live and grow with joy. Sarah's joy comes from her family, her husband, kids, and their pups. She finds her balance by adventuring outdoors, on the water, and around the world. In fact, she's only got one continent left until she's been to all seven. Today Sarah and I are talking about one of the things that most business owners wish they could delegate but sometimes feel that they're they're trapped into doing themselves. And that is their email. We're talking about how you can delegate your email to an assistant. How it can still be personal when you delegate a lot of your email work to your assistants, and what tips and strategies will make it as seamless as possible. You might feel that you can't get out of your inbox today, but with these tips, you'll be able to spend less time in your inbox and more time focusing on your clients and growing your business. So let's jump into the conversation. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited for today's conversation. I feel like it's super, super important. Of course, we're talking about delegation and burnout in businesses and with business owners. But before we jump into that topic, can you take a bit and tell us about you and your business?
1: Absolutely. So I, um, again, I'm Sarah. I am the owner of Joyfully Organized. And so we are a virtual assistant and operations consulting agency. And to take a little bit of a step back, I started my business about nine or 10 years ago now. And I started it while I was in grad school. Um, I had some business owner friends that were kind of looking for some support. And I was like, I can do this while I'm in grad school. And I was actually getting my grad degree in social work. And so I used to work in hospital social work. And I realized very quickly um, after going into that field, I burned out pretty quickly. And so then I was like, okay, my business is growing. Maybe I'm going to take a turn and do this for a little while. And since then, I realized a lot of the skills that I had learned as um, a social worker really apply um, working with business owners. And my goal with business owners is to help them not get to that same place of burnout so that we're strategically growing their business in a way that fits their life so that they're not getting to the place where they're dreading their work. They're dreading what they're doing. They're tired all the time. They're overwhelmed. So that's just a little bit of the background of how I kind of got into what I'm doing.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I think like you hit on some like very, very important things there. It's like, you know, the business owners being overwhelmed, tired all the time. We feel like we just got to keep doing this we got to keep doing this we got to keep doing this and we're not really setting ourselves up for success we're not taking the right steps of yeah there are times when a business is going to be overwhelming there are times when it's just the way your client work hits or depending on you know what you're in maybe it's a certain time of month or a certain time of year that you know that seasonality type things is going to skyrocket and you just it's something that you have to deal with But there's other times that we're in this constant state of overwhelm and burnout that is not doing anything for us and we don't need to be there.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think you touched on it. I mean, our businesses, I feel like, should have some seasonality to it. So some businesses have that built in. So think about someone who works in taxes, accountants. It's going to be kind of overwhelming come tax season, but it shouldn't be that high level of like stress year round. And so even if your business isn't that specific, I think factoring in seasonality and being like, Let's you know go through a grow period and like grow to that next level, and then let's appreciate that and take a moment and take a you know study break, and then we'll get into it again. Um, I think you know focusing on that and the seasonality and the growth periods really kind of is one way to help with complete burnout. Yes, yes, definitely.
0: So, what do you think causes us to get into this this cycle of burnout in our businesses?
1: Yeah, I think it's such a great question. And it's something like I can even find my own self as a business owner, like falling into this trap of like, and a lot of the other clients I talk to is we've started our own businesses. For the most part, we've come up with the idea. We're like, we're going to do this and we have figured it out. Like we are creating successful businesses and it's sometimes really hard to then bring in that first person or that second person into our business in order to delegate pieces of it. But if we hold all of it on in every piece of our business too closely, we, it's just not possible to be able to do it all and keep growing. Like there's just too many things that have to get done. Yes. Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah. And it, you're speaking my language there, Sarah. It's like one of those things that I talk about all the time. Like you start that business and you slowly add things to your plate and you don't realize how much you're adding to your plate because all those things that's it's like, let's talk your client work. Maybe when you started out, your client work was really taking you five hours a week because you didn't have that many clients yet. Now your client work is taking you 30 hours a week and you still have everything else on your plate because you haven't delegated it yet. And of course- There's that whole, that trust factor. This is your business. It's your baby. Like, what if I delegate it to someone and they screw up? It's Mm -hmm. not, it's no longer on my shoulders. It's not my responsibility. I gave it to someone else and maybe I should just keep it myself. So that way I am responsible for whether it goes right or wrong.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a trap that we can all fall into myself included that it's like, it. To, when you start delegating something, like just think of one project at a time, when you start delegating it, it probably is going to create more work and more time in the beginning to help train someone to be able to take that on for you. And for at some points it's like, oh, this just isn't worth it. I'll just do it because it's quicker because we're thinking about the short term instead of that long term of like, okay, but once I get them up and running, once they know what they're doing, I can fully take that off my plate and then I won't have to worry about it.
0: Yes. Yeah. 100%. It's like, I talk about that all the time. It's like, yeah, it might take you a long time to delegate. Now you're only saving so much time, but in the future, you're going to be saving that every week, every day, you know, every time you get these types of projects and it's going to add up. So it's like, think about the future. It's also one of those things that you know I kind of talk about a lot is the fact that a lot of times we wait too long to delegate. So we are in that state of overwhelm and we're like, but I don't have time to train. Not that we're not able, not that it's not something that we can't train somebody on, that we have the skills to teach someone. We just don't have the time. So we keep it because we don't have the time or we don't have the time to hire well. We don't have all this time because we waited too long to delegate.
1: Absolutely. And what I always try to tell people, I'm going to create two points here, but I always try to teach people to like, start delegating before you even think you're 100% ready. So start delegating small projects and start getting used to having that muscle of like, oh, I'm going to hand over a little thing here and a little thing there. That's not always possible. I realize some of us are like way too far in and we're like, okay, I need help now. And so I think there's a combination of things here. It's one having people um hiring people to help you like yourself to bring in the correct people for you. Um so having someone help you hire And then two, still starting small. Okay, maybe your emails are overwhelming to you. Let's just hire someone. We're going to start with one project and let's work on emails and delegating there. Once we feel like one, we can trust them. Two, we got a good system over there under our belts. Let's start with the next project. And then over time, you should hopefully be working with someone for the long haul. You'll get in a really good rhythm of like being able to trust them. They can start anticipating your needs and it really starts like moving that wheel forward.
0: Yes. Yes. I think that's so important. And there are so many things. And of course, I wanted to talk all about delegating emails. Because I feel like that's something that people are so hesitant about. But before we get to that, like, I love that you said start small. Like A lot of times people think hiring means I have to hire a full-time employee. I don't have money for benefits. I don't have money to pay someone 40 hours a week. I, do I have work for someone 40 hours a week? And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. You can start with a small a part-time employee. My first employee worked five hours a week. You could start with a contractor that's just doing a specific task. One of the very first people I hired for on a consistent basis was someone to edit my podcast because it was just something, it it is something that goes out on a weekly basis, but it was something, a small, small thing. It wasn't, sometimes we batch it. It wasn't something she necessarily had to do every week, but it was starting small. I didn't jump in to say, I need someone to completely manage my podcast. It was like, no, I just need someone to do the editing because that takes a lot of work, a lot of time, and it's not necessarily my skill set. So yeah, it's starting absolutely. small.
1: And it's repeatable, which I think is very helpful, especially when you're starting to delegate something because I think it's easier when you're working for the first time to like, okay, how do I hire? How do I delegate? Think about something in your business that you do on a repetitive basis and take that one piece of it, maybe screen record yourself doing it. If you know how to do it, or you want it done your way and then hand it to them. whether it's something you do like multiple times a week, one time a week, one time a month, and completely hand that off because likely there's things in our business that are done the same way over and over again. Those are things that generally we don't have to be doing.
0: Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Those repeatable tasks. Yes. We, as we talked about, it might take a while to train, but it's that long-term value. And then eventually you can get people on your team that you can hand off those one-time projects because you know them, you trust them. They know your business well. They're doing X, Y, Z work for you. So to say, hey, can you help me with this project? You know, you're know, you good. You can build up to that. Hiring doesn't have to be Full time employees. It doesn't have to be all or nothing where you say, take everything dealing with this off my plate. You know, you can focus a little bit at a time when it comes to hiring, just so you stop that overwhelm. Exactly. Let's jump back and talk more about email. And I feel like I love that you brought this up because I feel like I hear it all the time. I can't get anything done because I'm in my inbox all day. I'm in the middle of something and I have to go back to my inbox and our inboxes are overwhelming. It's like sometimes you, it's one of the first things you hear. It's like, I took a vacation and then it took me three days to get through my inbox when I came back. And so this is a very overwhelming part of like almost any business probably more so for some than others, depending on what type of business you have and what's hitting your inbox. Like if you're in a business where you're constantly getting orders and things like that, you might be getting a lot of great emails per day. Like, yay, you made another sale, but it's still something that's taking space. But a lot of people I know are really hesitant about delegating their email because they feel like it's such a personal thing. So what should we know
1: about delegating emails? Like kick us off. Yes, absolutely. So it's one of the, my favorite things to talk about because I think it's one of the places where we all get so overwhelmed so easily because it feels so personal. It feels so overwhelming. And we're like, it's, it is something that's needed in our businesses to make things run, but it's not, most of the time, it's not um, directly our client work. It's corresponding with clients, but it's not necessarily the work we're doing for our clients. So I love to think about our inboxes as a couple of different things. One, my view is when I see my any inbox or when I'm setting up inboxes for clients, what I want them to do, the piece I want them to focus on, anything that's in there should be a to-do for them. That should, all, that should be the only thing that they are looking at. So yes, we all subscribe to lots of newsletters and they're great, we wanna go back and reference them, but we shouldn't have those in our inbox. Let's go have rules and tags set up so they go ahead and go into folders, something like you know, reading folders and we set it up for each person so that when we're looking for content or we wanna read someone's newsletter, it's all in there. But that's not something when we open our inbox in the morning, we have to be seeing because that's not a to-do. Secondly, a lot of emails, even if they're coming from clients, don't have to be responded to by you. And I know this takes time and trust and we can build up to that. But I think creating one canned responses as a business owner. So this is like, these are the typical emails I get either with it's an, or like an issue with a product or some kind of question about when they're getting, when you're going to have a deliverable, something like that, we can create canned responses. And then you can delegate that out to have someone use that canned response, but then still personalize it to so say, hi, you know name and then include something from their email and then put the canned response in. And secondly, I think as we grow our businesses if that is your goal, it is something that we want to step into is that it's okay that you're not being the one to respond to everyone. If you think about a lot of business leaders, they're not responding to every email. And it could be a change in in our thought processes and I've done this as well to be like, but I want everyone to know I'm available. I want to respond to them. And I think it's okay to it be like hey, I, you know, I'm going to have my assistant take over this. She's, you know, she's going to have you in great hands, um, you know, and then if any problems come up or tricky situations, you can be the one to handle those.
0: Yes. Yeah. So it's just kind of like delegating and being clear on the roles and responsibilities. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what needs my attention. Here's what you're allowed to respond to. Here's what, nope, leave it to me setting up those rules, you say those filters. Now, of course, if you're on the growing your team email list, that just needs to go right to the top of your inbox, right? <laughs> <Just laughs> but but yeah, it is right. Like there's a lot of stuff you don't need to look at it right away. It doesn't need to clutter your inbox. It's things that you're on those lists for a reason, but do you need to look at it and on your busy day? Or is it one of those things where it's like, okay, when I go and take my lunch and I'm going to sit there and I don't want to focus on client work. That's the time I'm going to go and look at these things that aren't to do's that don't need my attention, but maybe they're the learning opportunities or things like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I just love separating them out because I feel like it can be overwhelming to see all of these client to do's and maybe financial to do's like pay this and all of these newsletters for growth at one time. And our brain doesn't always know like, where do I, where should I be focusing? So I think, having a way to categorize that out so you know i'm sitting down my best work time for my clients is 9 to 11 in the morning i only want to be seeing those emails versus i'm sitting down for lunch or i'm getting ready to make dinner and i kind of want to you know grow you know think about business growth and things like that i'm going to pull up all these newsletters and catch up and see what people are doing and things like that we can go to a separate place in our inbox for those
0: Yes, yes, I love it. And I think like some of the stuff you are talking about it goes back to a few episodes that's going to air a few episodes before this with a uh, Julie Fry and we were talking about how to make sure that the people that you're hiring to represent your business are representing your business well. So as you talked about Sarah like canned responses, those are great. They know exactly what to say and, you know, what kind of not to say. Like here's how to respond. that way you can know and trust that they're saying the right things. If there's things where it's a little bit more kind of fluid where, okay, what you're going to say is all going to depend on what they ask. We really can't have a canned responses, but you're going to grow and learn to know how to respond to these based on training, based on experience. You could always have a process set up in your training where you're reviewing everything they put together before they send it out. Now, once again, I said in the training. So this is not something you should be reviewing every email for eternity. Like if you can't get to a point where you can trust that person, either you need to work on your delegation and your trust with that team member, you need to do a better job training, or they're not the right person for that role. And you need to get someone else in there that you can actually trust. So yes, you want to make sure these people are representing your business well. And there's ways to do that, to make sure that you're you're confident having these people respond to your emails.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the tricks we did, um, one of our team members did with a client we were working with once who wanted, we were in the training phase, we were making sure we were hitting their voice, we were responding to things correctly, but they also didn't want it to be a holdup in responding to emails is for example, we would look through their inbox on Monday, we would type in responses and we would schedule send for Tuesday morning. And so then it was the client's responsibility like, hey, I'm gonna block out the 30 minutes at the end of every day for these two weeks, look at all of the scheduled emails, make sure everything looks good, but then it would automatically go send the next day. So it's a way to kind of make sure things are being responded to, not immediately so that you can kind of go in, take a peek and make sure you're hitting things, but also that you're checking daily, at least for the training period to make sure you're providing feedback to them as soon as you can, because I've f- I found, and you will know more about this, but like when you're training someone, the more like prompt feedback you can get as they're working on something, they're more likely to like be able to learn and pick it up quickly.
0: Yes. Yes, definitely. And I think like, I want to talk about something real quick that you've mentioned is that scheduled because I feel like that's also so such an important tool when you're an overwhelmed business owner. Mm -hmm. Because what happens when we're overwhelmed business owner, we might be catching up after the kids go to bed after we eat dinner after we go out and do whatever our evening responsibilities are. And we're like, ooh, but should I be sending an email at 1130 at night? I don't want to know my, my clients to know that I'm working. Or we get into one of those things where we send an email, where we're like, oh, that client's not going to be online. And then they respond right away. And then you're like, oh my goodness, do I respond? Do I not? Now I feel like I got to respond. And I'm getting into this back and forth conversation with a client at midnight now. And you're just like, oh my goodness, I added more work to my plate as I'm trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. The schedule send is amazing for this because You can go and catch up on your email like when you're having one of those overwhelming periods that once again, shouldn't be happening all the time. But during those busy times, those busy days, you you need to catch up schedule things to go out first thing in the morning. So no one knows you are actually working late at night.
1: Oh yeah. I'm a huge fan of it. So I have a four and a two-year-old. They often go to bed much earlier than I do. And some evenings, if I've taken a little bit of the afternoon off, have been playing or reading, I'm like, I'm catching up with my emails after they go to bed, but no one actually needs to know that I'm doing that. No one knows. And I've also, it's a way to set expectations with clients that they don't think that that's what you're doing either. So.
0: Yes. Yep. Those very clear office hours that you're sticking to, The this is when you can get in touch with me. This is when I am available outside of this. Nope. It's going to wait to the next business day. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. All right. So obviously you run a VA firm and everything. This is, I think a hot topic with so many businesses because they're always looking for for ways, especially for those early hires, get support without having to hire a full-time employee. And so a lot of people are going to hire virtual assistants. What are some tips that you can give business owners that are exploring this idea of virtual assistant for the very first time?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So one of the things I know we've already talked about is starting small. So choose, I like to kind of prompt people with this question of like, when you wake up first thing in the morning, is there something that's, on your mind, on your list that always seems overwhelming and just like never gets done. Maybe it's a big project, but oftentimes it's just like those little things that you're like, I have to do this, but maybe it's not client work. So it kind of just keeps getting pushed down the list. Okay. Let's talk, talk there. What are those things? Is this something repeatable? Is this something someone could help you with? And I think it's fine to start small. Let's just start with a few hours a week. Try to find someone that you think works in a similar way that you do. And let's start in small ways. And so I like to break up like the way that we work with clients into kind of some buckets. So what in your day-to-day are you doing in the admin bucket? And how much of the time, you know, if you're tracking your time, how much is it actually taking you? When you were thinking about marketing or, you know, are you the being the one that's scheduling out social media posts or email blasts? Is that something that feels overwhelming? How much time is it taking? Can you outsource that? What about the tech you're using? Do you feel like you have some automation set up? Is it taking work off of your plate. Let's, let's kind of start there. So I kind of like to break it up into these segments. Cause I think sometimes when we're in a place of overwhelm, we're just like everything in my business feels overwhelming. I don't know where to start. Okay. Let's bucket it out. Let's start in one of these buckets. And how can we get this running like a well-oiled machine for the first part? Let's start small there. We can always add more over time. Right. Right. Yeah. I love that. Once again,
0: start small, add over time. You do not need to jump in and do everything. So I feel like those, those are, those are some great, great tips to start. How about finding the right VA for you?
1: Yeah. Great question. So I think there's a couple different things you want to think about. One, if there is any specific, if you run a very specific type of business or there's very specific software that you're wanting help with or wanting someone to help you out with, you know, looking for someone that has that specific expertise. So maybe it's a CRM that you use. You want to make sure that they, you don't want to have to train on that piece. if you can find someone that ha- with that expertise. Secondly, for some people, it's really beneficial for them to have someone working in the same time zone or at least one or two two time zones off so that you, if you're, you know, on an East coast and you want responses promptly, and don't want to have to wait maybe a couple of days to turn around things working with someone either across the world or a few time zones off might not be the best fit for you. So that's something to consider. And three, I think one of the most important things is personality. You're inviting this people, this person into your business. You are, you know, hopefully going to get, build trust with them. So how can, are you, able to have a good personality fit so that when you're working together, does it feel like seamless in that way? Yes. Yeah. I love those things that you brought up because
0: I've heard before when people are like, okay, now that I kind of understand the hiring process of what it takes to hire an employee, forget it. I'm just going to hire a virtual assistant. And I'm just like, you do understand that you kind of have to have the same things laid out. Yes. Yes. The relationship's going to be different, but you still need to know, like kind of, what i call like the your company culture which is mm-hmm. that response who is going to fit into your organization what personality is going to work well with you you know just cuz someone's good at what they do doesn't mean they're right for you and you still need to know that you need to figure that out because otherwise you could be bringing in someone who even if they're doing the work okay just feels off to you you're feeling like you're having to manage this person all the time you're feeling like it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to get into that relationship. You know, as, as we talked about, you have to really know also what, what you're delegating and where you're starting, because the as you mentioned, Sarah, do so many different things. Yeah. It's one title. Like I always call it, it's like, it's a catch-all title just because you need a support. doesn't mean any person can jump in and support you. What is that area of focus that you need? So you find the person that specializes in that.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think you mentioned a couple of things there. So I think, you know, figuring out kind of what you're, at least what you're going to start with delegating so that you can kind of find someone that matches with that. And then the personality, like we've, I've chatted with people before that it seems like a great fit on paper, but when we like hop on our first call or something, the energy levels just don't fit, or we've just learned to no fault of any person, just like, this is not the best personality fit. Maybe I'm too high energy and that doesn't fit for you. or I'm too low energy and you want someone high energy. Like I, think that is, it's one of those like more soft things, but it's very important for just like when you're working with someone day to day to feel like, okay, they fit into our team, our culture, what we're trying to do.
0: 100%. Yeah. I always say if you're hiring in a large corporate company, that personality fit kind of diminishes a little bit. Because typically you're not working with that person day in and day out. Now, once again, if we're talking about assistants in general, typically your assistant you're working very close with. So no matter if you're a large company or not, your assistants, you need to have you need to mesh with personality-wise. But in a larger company, when it comes to just any position, you have a team of 30 account managers. One of them doesn't fit great personality with you, who cares? Yeah, you know, but when you're in a small company and you only have a few people on your team, those personalities matter so much because they really have the ability to impact your entire culture, impact to ability to impact your day, you know, things like that. You know, some of the things you have to think about is it doesn't necessarily mean that if you're a high energy person, that everybody needs to be a high energy person. So you need to think about also, what do you need? to balance you. And sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes you might need that person that says, hold on, let's wait a second. We need to think this through. I know you wanna jump on this idea, but we have 12 ideas we're already working on. We need to prioritize, come on, let's let's take it down a notch. I'm not saying, no, we're not gonna do it, but let's, and that's what you hire them for. You mm-hmm. hire this person that's gonna make you go slower because you're, you're all to the races as soon as you get an idea. You might also be in the opposite side. You need to hire that person that's going to be like, all right, come on. We got to keep going on this idea. Like, let's not slow down. Like, let's keep going or bring those new ideas in. Have you thought of this? Like, so you never know. You Everyone's going to need someone different. So you really have to find that great match for you.
1: Yeah. And this is something I've been learning about uh, recently in my mastermind program. Our coach had us do the DISC profile. And so we were, we've been learning about different types and I'm like, it makes so much sense that I think I kind of like had a good idea about that in my head, but never had like really seen it laid out. And I was like, oh, I'm someone who is just going to kind of I, the person I am as a business owner with my clients is different than the person I am with my team. Um, with my team, I need someone helping me to like speed things up, keep things moving. Whereas with my clients, they often are like off to the races. Here we go. And it's like, wait a second, how are we implementing this? Let's just, let's follow one thing at a time.
0: Yes. Yes, definitely. All right. So going back to finding that right VA, One of the questions that I get all the time, because a girl and your team really focus on hiring employees. So, But people always ask, okay, well, I'm going to hire a virtual assistant. They're like, how do I find the right one? Not once I talk to people, are they the right one? How do I even find the virtual assistants out there that I'm going to talk to? So before we get into maybe some tips there, seeing you are working in this field, how do
1: most of your clients find you? So 90 to 95% of our clients find us through word of mouth. And I will say that's my like recommendation for most people because often the business owners that you're friends with that are in your network have similar type values to you in some way. And they often have a good recommendation and they can provide that recommendation either based on who they're working with. They're like, oh, this is a good fit for you. Or I know this person through someone else. They're a great fit. Um, so 90 to 95% of our clients Um, which I'm so thankful for come through word of mouth. And that's what I recommend for most people. The the other like 5% just come from general like networking. So whether we're talking on a podcast or I've posted something on social media and they found us that way, but that's closer to like 5% of our clients. Yes. And that's what I tell
0: people all the time. I'm like, don't post your virtual assistant position on a job board. Chances are they're not going to see it. What you need to do is go and ask your network. And it could be that that person is going to give you a recommendation for someone that's perfect for them. And it's not perfect for you, but at least that's a starting point. You know, it could be one of those things where you talk to that person. And it's, and they, you guys both identify it's not a fit, but they're like, hey, but I know someone else you could talk to because exactly. I'm sure, you know, you have, you have other people you refer out. I know for me, I talked to some people and I was just like, I'm not the right person to help you with that particular hiring need here's who you should go talk to. And so starting with those referrals, that word of mouth is is the best place to start when you're hiring a virtual assistant. Your network will help you find the best person or at least get you on the right path that's going to take you to that right person.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say also, like, don't ever hesitate, in my opinion, to schedule a call to just chat with someone because they'll either, you'll get to know their personality, but you'll also get to know, like, I I will tell people like, hey, I don't think this is a great fit, like you mentioned, but here are, I then know like six or seven other VAs or VA firms that I can be like, this is probably a better fit for you. And I've just found that finding people in that way, just like, you might have to go through a few phone calls, but is the best way to find someone who's going to stay with you and last.
0: Yes, yes. So a question about VA agencies and firms. A lot of times I feel like some people are hesitant because once again, like people don't know what they don't know yep. and they wonder if they go to, if they select a firm, do they get assigned a person or it could be anybody within that firm working on their stuff Or then it's like, oh my gosh, I have to, I just trained this person. Now this person's jumping in and, and I have to train 10 people instead of one people. So how do things really work inside VA agencies and firms?
1: a great question. So, and I will say ours works a little bit differently. We were kind of like a very small firm. So I know there are massive agencies out there that employ tons and tons of people. And for most of them, the way that I know that they work is you get assigned one person that just works with you and that you may be handed off for some things. The way ours works, because I started my business as a solo VA, so it was just myself for many, many years, Um, but I started adding additional expertise to my business over time, so people who are better at the graphic design, people that are better at editing things, and so If you work with our agency, you get matched with someone, but I'm heavily involved in all our projects, but then what happens is as we are very careful about documenting SOPs as we're we're standard operating procedures as we're working through them. um, So you always have one main person you're corresponding with a lot of the times that's myself, or one of my other. really involved VAs, what we can bring on additional expertise for a project should we need it. And then if anything happens, we're out of the office. I have two young kids. They get sick. I'm on vacation. The other VAs on my team are still up to date because they've been actively involved and we have those written out SOPs. So
0: it's like that, it's that perfect mix of you get that personalized support, but there's that built-in backup. So you don't feel like my VA is taking a vacation. What am I going to do?
1: Oh my gosh, I have to go back to checking all my emails. And I don't, I don't know how to do this anymore. Exactly. And that's what it was. So this is, I, it's, I started building a team when I went on maternity leave the first time about four and a half years ago. And I was like, I have nothing. I'm sorry clients, but I got to go out of the office. You have to do that. I'm a, I can work ahead as much as I can and I was like, okay, we got to we got to work on this because she's going to be out sick, things like that. I was like, I need additional support built in and that's when I started building a team. Awesome.
0: Yeah. So, seeing you have your own team, what is one thing you've learned throughout this process that you think would be helpful for other people to hear?
1: Yes. Um, I think that I've learned a lot from building a team. It's very different, I think, from build, being a business owner. And I think knowing, telling my clients that it takes time to get to, you know, work with someone, I would say for us, generally, when we're starting with a new client, it takes about three months to really get up and running and really smooth. And it's like, I got to the place. So I was like, oh, wait, I'm too overwhelmed. I need someone in now. And I was like, oh, I don't have time to train them. So I think what I've started doing is hiring, bef- not before, but like, starting people off small so that they're prepped. They know our company culture before we get to that place of complete overwhelm. So maybe we just bring them in for a few small projects. um, And then hopefully over time that they can grow with us. I now taking my own medicine of what I used to tell people, but didn't realize for my own self. Yeah. And
0: well, and I so love what you just said there. Like the fact that Like when you're working with a client, it could take three months to be fully onboarded into your roles. And you realize that, and I feel like that's a part of onboarding that so many people forget. They're like, I'm going to get help and I'm going to have this additional support tomorrow because it's their first day and things are going to be great. And then they're like, why are things moving so slowly at first? And it's like, they have to learn. Mm -hmm. And the person can only learn as quickly as you're teaching them. And if you teach them too quickly, it's just going to be too overwhelming, and they're only going to get a small percentage of it. So learning takes time. That onboarding takes time. But I'm sure,ly like, as you you're probably able to vouch for this, it could take three months to get fully on board with the clients. But you're still providing value those three months. Mm-hmm. It's not you might not be doing everything yet, but you're still providing value. It's just building more and more and more of that value until you're at that optimal level three months later.
1: Absolutely. And I, the way I like to think about this is because I understand clients come very overwhelmed. And I'm like, think about it this way. We are working, we've got, look at how much we've already gotten to know you and your systems and what we've been able to add. If you were to try to start brand new with someone else, think about the different levels. Not that we're always the perfect fit, but like it does seem slow in the beginning, but it's a lot of that groundwork that has to be laid in order for us to work at optimal efficiency. Yes.
0: Yep. That groundwork, as we talked about building up and learning. And soon, uh, you know, they're just this great part of your team that's helping you out and helping to really reduce that overwhelm that none of us want to be in. You know, it is one of those things like you had mentioned, kind of like, well, when do you hire? Hire really kind of before you need it, and starting that small. And it's one of those things that I know people talk about all the time, especially you know we've mentioned seasonality here. Well, people always say, "Will my busy time, for example, let's say it's July. Let's say they're a really busy summer business. I'm not busy till July." So when should I hire this person? I was like, well, you need to hire them roughly three months before July because you need them up and running so you don't have to be in training during that busy time. Because if you can't handle the business without this person during a busy time, you're definitely not gonna be able to handle the business and training during this busy time. So you need to consider that into your timelines if you're hiring for seasonality. And sometimes seasonality is a little different. Like if you're a retail person, Hiring someone to run the retail shop, you might be like, well, I can't hire the college students until then. Like that's a little bit different, but we're talking about positions that are going to be around year round, but they're really doing the bulk of their work during that seasonal uptick. As we talked about, we're waiting too long. This is why I really, really encourage businesses sit down at least once a quarter, if not once a month and look for the signs to hire to see if they're going on in your business. Because if you're proactively looking for them We can see them before they really start becoming major problems. And if you're not familiar with the signs to hire, I'll link our episodes in the show notes where we really dive into the signs that it's time to hire. But when you're, once again, when you're proactively looking, you start seeing these signs earlier and earlier. So that way you're not overwhelmed going to hire. Because if you hire too late, you're really doing your business a disservice and you're probably leaving money on the table because you didn't have the support that you needed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what's one of the things um, that we love chatting with our clients about is revisiting our goals every quarter. Because I think sometimes that we're like, okay, let's set yearly goals. But if you can... Look at them each quarter. It's easier to do small course corrects. So let's do a little thing here or a little thing here to get us back on track versus if we're just looking at them in January of every year, we might've gone completely off track without really realizing it come till December. And we're like, ooh, how are we going to fix this bigger issue now versus smaller course corrects that we're looking at every month or every quarter? Well, and it's also
0: one of those things. It's just because you're getting off track from your goals doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It means that that goals that you set out don't actually match the landscape of what happened over that year. So it gives you an opportunity to not necessarily course correct with the direction you're going in, but course correct with those goals. Set goals to to match the path that you're on versus the path you thought you'd be on because pivots are sometimes needed. One of the things I will say with that is, make sure that new path actually matches something that you want and you're not just following what is easy. I know a few years ago, I ran into that in my business where I felt like I I looked back and looked at things and looked at the packages I was putting out. And I realized I was following the money that was coming in instead of building the business that I wanted. And so I shifted or reset my goals and now so much happier like within my business and everything. So, But Sometimes we have to course correct the path that we're on. Other times we
1: have to course correct the goals themselves. And I think that's very key in like trying it fully back to circle, tying back full circle um, to help lead, to help us prevent burnout. Because I feel like sometimes when we, we all kind of feel like can do this is we chase like, oh, okay, this is where our big income stream is. We're like chasing this and it's like a lot of growth, but it's gotten further from what our values are and what we want out of our business. And I think that sometimes that can also lead to burnout because we're not living or not creating a business that is in line with why we started our values and what we're really wanting out of it.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, Sarah, I feel like we could talk about this all day, but we need to start wrapping up. So tell everybody how they can get in touch with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my website is www.joyfullyorganized.com. And we are also on Instagram at VA.
0: Awesome. And I think you also have a delegation
1: guide, correct? I Tell do. Tell us about so, that. Yeah. On our website, um, you can find it in the footer of our website. We have what's called a delegation inspiration guide. Um, so what it is, is when we started working with clients who had never delegated before, we, as we've talked about, had the question of like, Where do I even start with delegating? What types of projects can you even help with? Like, help me start brainstorming so I'm not starting from scratch. So we created this PDF that kind of breaks things down into categories and helps you just kind of get an idea of the current projects we're working on with clients. So anything from emails to marketing support to things that you might not have thought of to be like, oh, hey, I am doing this on a regular basis. Maybe this is someplace I could start. So just getting some of that inspiration of like, these are things that you can delegate in your business.
0: Yes, definitely. All right. The links to that and all the links to get in touch with Sarah will be in the show notes over at growingyourteam.com. All right, Sarah, last question that I love to ask all my guests. We've all had leaders or managers that have stood out to us in our lives. Think of a leader or manager that has stood out to you and share one thing about them.
1: Yeah. So when I was in college, I had a manager and I started at a relatively entry level position um, and honestly was not my job was fine. I was doing fine. I was meeting quota, things like that. And I saw this call out to become a manager at this job. And I had so much like imposter syndrome. I was like, I'm just an entry level. I've only been here a year and I didn't apply. And she called me into her office the next day and like, wanted to be like, Hey, I really think you're a good fit. Why didn't you do this? Like, why didn't you apply? And I kind of went through my reasons and she's like, I'm extending it. I really want you to do this. And over the next year, she really built into me to become a manager of the place I was working. And I ended up loving that job for the next uh, four years through college.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I think it's like one of those things as leaders, like sometimes we see things in our employees that they don't see in themselves yet. And it doesn't mean that they will never have the desire to be there, but they don't realize it yet. Like I remember there were two employees of mine when I was in corporate, where when I was in leadership, we would do our succession planning as a large leadership team. And we would say, who on our teams do we think would be good for leadership roles? And I remember these two gentlemen and I'm just like, I put their names on the list and people are like, well, they, do they even want it? And I'm like, no, but I don't think they're, I, I think that they don't think that they're capable. They don't see this on their roadmap, but they have these skills that stand out every day that make a good leader. And I feel like with the proper support and encouragement, they could be excellent leaders. And unfortunately, I left that organization to go out on my own before I really had the opportunity to fully develop them and get them into those next leadership roles. But I know they're both doing really successful in where where they are now. But it is sometimes we have to have those conversations with people to say, you are capable of this. Let's get you the training and everything you need and the support to fill the gaps that you might have because everybody has gaps when they're moving into a new role and, and get you ready.
1: Yeah. And it's so needed and it's so appreciated. And I just love when I see people like that building into like the people that are upcoming. Yes. Yes, definitely.
0: All right, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And that wraps up this episode of the Growing Your Team podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss new episodes. And if your favorite podcast app has the ability, leave a review and let us know what you love about the show. As you wait for the next episode, be sure to follow Growing Your Team on Instagram at Team, or head on over to growingyourteam.com to access more resources and learn how Growing Your Team can support you as you master the art of hiring.